Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill. This is our online Sunday morning service that's available on our website, faithonhill.com, in a live stream, on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash faithonhill, and audio versions are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. We gather in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are back inside our building. We've been outside doing lawn chair church during the summer, uh, but the rains have come, so we are back inside, uh, socially distanced, following all the the rules. So if you feel um, like, I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable or safe, uh, we are doing everything we can to make everyone feel comfortable or safe. Uh, that's that's kind of where we're at. We we say, hey, we've got people that have one opinion about masks and vaccines and have another, but everybody's saying, how can we love each other and serve each other? So we are putting masks on and we're spreading the chairs out and all those things. We are always taking food donations for the Wichita Family Center. And even if you aren't coming in person, you can reach out Adam at faithonhill.com and we can arrange for you to uh, do a drop-off. And small groups will be starting up soon. You can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Jude as we finish our study of the book of Jude, continuing through the 10 least read books of the Bible. The book of Jude, verse 1, says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. We spoke last week about who Jude was. He was the half-brother of Jesus, our Lord. Uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, conceived divinely through the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was born of a virgin. But Mary and her husband, Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly foster father, they had other kids, and Jesus had other brothers and sisters. And in the uh, Gospel of Mark, his brothers are named, and Jude and James are named among them. James became the pastor of the church in uh, the city of Jerusalem, and he wrote the book of James. And Jude was a traveling uh, evangelist, missionary, uh, and he wrote the book of Jude. And so we talked last week, and you can go back uh, on our podcast feed or on uh, the video on Facebook, and you can learn more about that if you missed it. Verse 3, he says, Dear friends, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we shared, but I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. Now, Jude is a traveling preacher, evangelist, apostle. He would go from town to town, city to city, telling anyone and everyone he could that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, that Jesus Christ had conquered and defeated sin and death through his death on the cross. But he says that this has been entrusted to God's holy people. He doesn't say it's been entrusted just to the 12 disciples. He doesn't say it's been entrusted only to those who wrote the scripture. He doesn't say it's been entrusted just to certain people. He says it's been entrusted to God's holy people. And if you are a Christian, if you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, then this faith has been entrusted to you. Now, God has raised up 
leaders in the church. God has raised up those who are gifted in preaching and proclaiming his good news. God has raised up people who have a gifting in teaching the word of God. And I hope that that's something that I'm gifted in because I'm doing it right now. God has raised up people who are gifted in equipping Christians. We call that discipleship, learning how to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. But the faith has been entrusted to all of us. And that's going to be a key point as we spend time in Jude's letter this morning. It's been entrusted to all of us. He says, For certain individuals, verse 4, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this. Now, he is assuming that they know what he's about to speak. If you don't know what he's about to talk about, don't feel bad. Jude was writing to a very specific context. He was writing to people who had come up in the Jewish traditions. Jude's mission field was what we would think of as like Palestine, Israel, Lebanon, maybe parts of Jordan, if you're familiar with a map of the Eastern Mediterranean or the Middle East. And if you don't, you just pause this Get on Google Images real quick and just say, like, Middle Eastern map, and you'll find it. But he was traveling around where there, the Jewish community was kind of strongest or most prevalent. And so everything he's saying, they would at least have some familiarity with. The same way that just about every American has heard of Abe Lincoln or heard of George Washington or knows who Michael Jordan is or knows who, uh, you know, just you go on, on and on and on. Like everybody knows who Beyonce is, right? And so in the same way that we all have this familiarity, even people who don't listen to Beyonce's music knows who Beyonce is. Even people that aren't fans of the NBA know who Michael Jordan or LeBron are, right? So he is speaking to people who would have a familiarity with this. That being said, this is a good opportunity for us to increase our familiarity with the Word of God. And he says, though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change, chains, not chains, chains for judgment on the great day. The Bible, multiple places, describes the great and terrible day of the Lord. The day where God settles things and makes things right and brings judgment on all wickedness. In a similar way, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion, and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This is back in the book of Genesis. Uh, we studied it when we went through the book of Genesis a couple of years ago, but there were these two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were a bunch of surrounding villages, and these were places of great evil. Now, they have become shorthand in our culture. Even to this day, if I make a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, people who are not Christians at all might understand that I, I could be using it as a reference towards a specific type of sin, 
or what, or what the Bible would call sin, what our culture says is not sin, speaking directly of homosexuality. Now, I want to say this. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was so far beyond two dudes getting it on. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was way beyond two ladies who were into each other or, or two people who didn't know what they were. Uh, you know, it's way beyond that. I would say this. This is my, my position. I, I hold that the Bible is true and that, that God knows how humanity is supposed to be designed. And we don't have to look far around us to see that humanity in general, north, south, east, west, young, old, we are broken people. So I affirm that the Word of God is true. That being said, when it comes to the church and sexual immorality, I believe that the church in America has been incredibly permissive in general towards heterosexual sin and has made a big deal about the, uh, the preferences and the proclivities of those in the LGBTQ plus community. So my kind of default right now is to let people in the church who have dealt with same-sex attraction speak on this issue. Jackie Hill Perry, Sam Alberry, Kathy Grace, who's based here locally in Portland. Um, there's, uh, there's others, my friend Amy, my friend Sarah. There's others who have spoken. Uh, Christopher Yuan, who's based out of uh, chi- uh, Chicago. There are others who have spoken well and thought deeply about their own experiences in choosing to follow Jesus and live biblically while living with same-sex attraction. I'll let them speak to it because I, I know that the church has been incredibly hypocritical in being passive towards heterosexual sin while making a big deal about the actions of those in the gay community. So that's where I want to leave that. When he says Sodom and Gomorrah, he is speaking about sexual immorality, but it's far beyond. And you can go and read and there was violence and there was rape culture and there was... Um, probably some, some racism implied too. Like there was all kinds of things going on there. It's so much bigger than that. Verse, actually, before we go to verse eight, I do want to say this though. He says they're reserved for eternal fire. And you might say, hey, that's not very kind of God. That seems like the kind of thing that like mean Christians get, but I like the God who's like loving. Like, can we just focus on the loving Jesus? Understand that that's what the loving Jesus did. That Jesus went to the cross to remove the sins of all humanity. Every person, every woman, every man, every child, every person uh, you know, who is ready to go and meet Jesus, he died for all of them. And so when we say, where's the loving Jesus? The eternal fire, the justice of God directed towards the sins of humanity has always been there because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus, God in human flesh, died so that the justice of God could be satisfied. On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's a a lyric from a song that we sing often here. And as we sing those words, we believe them, that I deserve the eternal fire. I deserve the eternal judgment. But Jesus and his grace have removed all of my sins and covered me. And it's not because I'm special or you're special, but Jesus is so special. So there is no one who doesn't have the ability to get out of this. The the message of Jesus is wide open. 
All who are weary, come to Jesus and he will give us rest. Verse 8, Jude says, In the same way, so in the same way as there were people who God delivered from slavery in Egypt and then they later rebelled against God and he had to destroy them, in the same way that there were angels who dwelt in the high places, they left their position and rebelled against God and followed Satan, in the same way as there, were, there have been whole cultures and communities like Sodom and Gomorrah who had totally given themselves up to the wickedness of their own sin and rejected God, he says in the same way, verse 8, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people, the ones that he spoke of earlier in verse 4 who have slipped in among the Christians, he says these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. So apparently what's going on is that these ungodly people that Jude says have slipped into the church and they've actually become leaders in the church in Jude's day, that these ungodly people say, I had a vision from God. Last night I had a dream and God spoke to me. And they then began to teach and preach and establish their leadership based off of these dreams or visions that they claimed to receive. But when they did so, their dreams or their visions said, oh, it's okay for me to engage in this sinful activity that I want to engage in. Outside of the Bible and biblical history and Christian history, and admittedly World War II history just for my own interest, I would say the thing in history that I've read the most about is actually the history of the Mormon church. I find it fascinating. And I've had great friends and coworkers and neighbors who are part of the Latter-day Saints uh, group. I hesitate to call them a church because they are not the church. But Joseph Smith had a strong libido. And he wanted to have relationships with multiple women. So, he says, I had a vision, I had a dream, and God gave me the command that we should have multiple marriages. And he went around telling some of his closest followers, and they started living secretly. And then when he thought he had enough authority in, in the Mormon community, then he made it public. But he did so based on this desire to have multiple relationships outside of his marriage. David Koresh I don't know if you remember that name. I was a child. I, I was probably like fourth, third or fourth grade, maybe fifth grade, when that became news. And in the 90s, in Waco, Texas, there was this cult called the Branch Davidians. And they were led by a, a young, charismatic leader named David Koresh. And David Koresh would preach, and they had this compound in Texas where they all lived, and they had guns and bunkers, and they were ready for doomsday. And David Koresh would again say, hey, I want to get with that gal. So he would say, God told me that I'm supposed to get with her. And then he's, oh, I, I like her too. She's new. So God told me I'm supposed to get with her too. So that was their excuse. Uh, there have been other leaders who have used the authority that they claim God gave them, and they have used it as an excuse for uh, their substance abuse or for their greed or their corruption or their lavish lifestyle. Whatever it is, the idea that he's saying is just as there were people in the past 
And so he's using examples from their history that they would have known about. And he says, just as there are people in the past who had given themselves over, there are people who have snuck into the church and on the basis of what they claim are dreams or visions that God has given them, they're using it as a license to sin. They pollute their own bodies. Then he says they reject authority. I have a certain amount of authority, both official and natural. And, and I take that very seriously. That as the pastor here, I have a certain amount of decision-making authority. That's like official authority. And I have a certain amount of natural authority to speak into people's lives. But what authority am I under? Ephesians says, it's a letter in the New Testament, and it says that we are to submit one to another. So even as a leader, I'm supposed to be in submission to other Christians. That I should have people who speak into my life, not just give me some advice that I can choose to ignore or, or take or whatever, but who have authority to speak into my life. I think it's a challenge. Do I, do I say, oh, hey, I believe in our system. In, in our system, with our group of churches, we have a superintendent who's sort of the pastor overseeing the pastors. And what happens if he speaks into my life and I just go, hey, you can't trust that guy. Hey, forget that guy. Not good. He says, in the very same way, they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. Now, that's weird to us because we don't really care, but the idea might be that, that their preaching or teaching was uh, in part talking about, uh, you know, the, these uh, angels or, or celestial beings, forget them. Uh, God doesn't care about them. He only cares about us. We're the special ones. I, we'd have to kind of guess what he means by that, but something is happening that it's not so much the abuse on who it's being heaped on, it's that it's being heaped on. It's, it's that there is pride happening. I think a much more um, current version of this might be churches that use the preaching of a charismatic leader as an excuse for sin, whether that's sexual sin or whether it's substance abuse or whether it's an excuse for racism or nationalism or whatever sin. They use that as an excuse for sin, so they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, meaning they won't listen to anyone else. And then when it says heaping abuse on celestial beings, it could be that the modern equivalent is those who say that church is bad. That church is bad. We're the only ones who have it figured out. That's a scary place to be. I sure don't think I'm the only one that's got it figured out. And I sure don't think that our church is the only one that's got it figured out. And I'm thankful for the many, many, many good churches in our community that we can stand side by side with, even if we don't agree on everything. You know, you can get in a room full of people from a bunch of different churches and you'll have a bunch of disagreements about practice or policy or theology or doctrine. But we all agree about the same essential things, that there is one God, that he created this entire world and that humanity fell into sin and rebellion and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that God loved the world so much that he became a man, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross, he went willingly, and the justice of God was satisfied through his death, and his victory was proved three days later when he rose from the dead. And all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior have their sins wiped away and have the promise of everlasting life. We believe that. Hope City believes that. 
Life Journey Church believes that. Two Rivers Church believes that. Good Roots believes that. Uh, Sunnyside and Happy Valley and whether it's Happy Valley Baptist, Happy Valley Community Church, Happy, you know, there's a few Happy Valley churches, but they believe those things. Clackamas Bible Church, they believe those things. So we stand with them. We don't agree on everything. We may look a little different how we do things, but we stand with them. But these guys apparently don't. So they'll, they'll follow just the voice of one or two people, and they'll reject all authority, and they'll just heap abuse on anyone who's not them. Verse 9, he says something weird. He says, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things that they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. What's going on there? Again, we spoke last week about what's going on with the Michael the archangel arguing with Satan. You can go back and check that out. But the point he's trying to get across is this. In the Jewish cosmology, that's the culture that Jude is writing to. Even though he's writing to Christians, they would be Christians living in a Jewish culture. In their cosmology at the time, the archangel was like highest, most powerful angel. And so Jude says, even the most powerful spiritual being that we know about, even he didn't stand in pride or arrogance. Even he didn't stand in slander, didn't stand in in his own power. He said, God's going to do the work. And he says, these people are just speaking off instinct, and what they do understand by instinct will destroy them. He says, they're living like animals. So the the sins that they're just giving themselves over to, he says, that's going to destroy them. Woe to them, verse 11. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed into the prophet of Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Those are three events in the history of the people of God. Cain, one of the first sons of Adam and Eve, he offered false worship to God and in jealousy murdered his brother. Balaam was a prophet of God, but he sold himself to the highest bidder. I will speak blessings and curses and I will give prophecy if you pay me enough. And then one guy, a king named Balak, did pay him enough and he said, I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam said, I can't do that, but I'll tell you how to trip him up in sin through immorality, through, through getting him into idolatry. And then Korah, when Moses was used by God to bring the people out of Egypt and deliver them from their slavery and their bondage in Egypt, they get to the the other side, they cross the Red Sea, and Korah stands up and said, who made you boss? Because Korah wanted to be the boss. So they had a rebellious spirit, and Korah's followers were rebellious to what God was doing, and they were destroyed. So he's saying, hey, these people that have slipped in among you, false worship, jealousy, rebellion, immorality. And this is what's going on. He says, these people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. So they had these church meals that were called love feasts. And he says, they're just here doing whatever they want to do. And they are a shame to you. They're a blemish. They are clouds without rain. They're useless. They are blown along by the wind. 
you see them, oh, look, they're moving, they're doing things. He's saying they've got no power on themselves. They're just being blown by the wind. They are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. So what he's saying is there is no fruit in their ministry. And they, because they are not in Christ, they are dead in their sins. So they are dead in their works and they are dead in their sins, twice dead. Verse 13, they are the wild waves of the sea, foaming up with their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh of Ad, from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness. And all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. Fall, they follow their own evil desires and they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Now, when you think of false teachers and toxic leaders and unholy people, and you make a list, is grumbler and fault finder on the top of that list? It is for Jude. It is for Jude. The idea was that we limit sin in these little boxes. We think this is the things that really matter, and these little boxes that we make, that's the sin that we're going to judge people on. But God knows the full extent of the unrighteousness of people, the sin of people. And people will stand around and say, can you believe that person? And they have done this and how horrible and we will expand and explode that particular sin as if it's the worst thing ever. And we use it as a way to cover up our own sin. And Jude's saying, hey, it's not just that these guys are sleeping around. It's not just that these guys are getting drunk. And then they, they I, I read this week about a guy who confessed he would lead worship at his church uh, hungover. You know, he'd go just get wasted and then he'd go show up to church and lead worship or preach and then he'd go home because he wasn't a Christian. He says, not just that. But they just grumble against everyone. They find fault in everyone. They have judgment over everyone. They don't have grace. They don't have love. They don't have mercy. He says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, verse 18, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So it's not just that they're trying to get their own following, but they're going in and dividing communities of faith, these churches and these communities. I was talking to a friend recently, and he said, you know, I used to think that false teachers were like David Crest or Joseph Smith or somebody I saw on TV with, with weird hair and, you know, trying to get money from everybody. But he said, you know who's causing the biggest division in my church right now? And, he, and we were talking, and I said, no, who's causing the biggest division in your church? And he lives in another part of the country. And he said, Instagram moms. And I was like, what? Yeah, he's like, yeah. And he sent me a couple of, of links, and he said, these, these Instagram influencers are telling people to ignore what their pastors or what their churches are saying and to do these things. And and basically divide. If anybody tells you this or that, just ignore them and walk away. And he said, like, 10 families just left our church because they all followed this Instagram influencer in, instead of being committed to one another in love and, and trying to find ways to work together. They just said, no, we're out. He said, wow. Okay. He says, verse 
20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I, I know that when I surrender myself fully to God's work in my life, He begins to direct my prayers. And as I pray and as I seek God and as I spend time in quiet and stillness, I start to pray, Lord, I just pray for this person and that and help me, give me this. It's like my grocery list. And then God starts to just erase that and, and people start to get put on my heart and situations start to get put on my heart and, and, and even just general trends start to get put on my heart and I pray over these things. That's praying in the Spirit, being led as the Spirit of God leads me and gets my heart aligned with God's heart, building myself up. Hey, I've never heard of Korah before. I didn't know that about Cain. I, there's stuff talked about here that I'd never, I didn't know what was going on. I can grow in my faith. I can grow in my knowledge of the Word of God. I can grow in my openness to the work of God the Holy Spirit. I can grow in my connection and relationships with other Christians. I can build myself up in the faith, and I can pray in the Spirit so that I can be strong in the Lord. Why? Verse 21, to keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now, what do you do with all these people who are just kind of out there and crazy and toxic Christians and false teachers? He says, verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. So if somebody's having real struggles, don't, don't just write them off. Have mercy to them. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Hey, you got to be situationally aware. You got to know what's going on. Some people need mercy and some people need a good to the back of the head. What are you doing? What you are doing is, is destroying you and I care too much about you to not say anything. So some people need mercy, verse 22. Others you need save from the fire by snatching them. Like, hey, grab hold of somebody. Hey, I care. Now they, they've got to make their own choice, but I, I don't want to let it go. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. That's a confusing verse, but let me give you the, my best understanding of it. He's saying some people are just struggling with doubt and other things, and they just need mercy. you got to have a situational awareness. When do I just need to show love and grace and mercy to somebody? And then he says some people need to be snatched out of the fire, because then you have to have the situ situational awareness to know when do I say a direct or even blunt word to somebody and say, hey, what you are doing is destroying you, and I care too much about you to let that go. To some people, he says, you need to show mercy mixed with fear. What does that mean? Basically speaking, he's saying, hey, I want to show you mercy, but I don't want to get caught up in the same sin. I want to show you grace, but I don't want to get ensnared in the same chains and bondage that you have been ensnared in. And so he says, hey, just because we are showing grace to somebody, it doesn't mean we want to say it's okay for you to do that. Just because we're showing mercy to somebody doesn't mean that we ourselves want to get caught up in it. Like, hey, it's, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Can I tell you 100% what that means? No, but my best guess is this, that while I want to love people and I want to love and love and love people, I don't want to become dulled or okay with the sins of this world. 
And I want, I, I feel like sometimes I get desensitized and things that should horrify me as a follower of Jesus don't. And I need the God of this world to, the, the, the God who made this world, the God who saves this world to come in and re-cleanse me so that I am sensitized to what is right and what is wrong. And then he ends with a bit of worship. Verse 24, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. So I trust that God's going to keep us from stumbling, keep us from becoming like these guys that he's talking about, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So what do you do with all this? Well, here's my thought. How you approach this whole description of these toxic Christians, these sinful Christians, these fake or false Christians, is kind of like a Rorschach test. You know what a Rorschach test is? They put that splatter on a piece of paper, and then you go, oh, it's a butterfly. Oh, it's a house, you know. Oh, it's a baseball team. Just depending on how you see it, and that's supposed to tell you something about your psyche. I don't know if it works or not. If you take the marks of these toxic leaders, these toxic Christians found in Jude, these fake Christians, these fake leaders, and then you start writing names and you say, oh, I think this is describing this person I know or that person. I think this is something that might say more about me or say more about you than it does about them. Remember I said earlier about my friend who said, you know, I used to think false teachers were just, you know, cult leaders or, uh, you know, people on TV trying to get money. And then he said, I never thought about Instagram influencers dividing the church. And there are people who have the look of goodness, the look of godliness, but there is no substance. They're like those dead trees. There's no fruit and it's dead on the inside, so it's twice dead. But here are some general kind of marks that I, I wrote down. I went through the entire book of Jude this week, and I wrote down kind of in my own words these marks that Jude was saying about false leaders, false Christians, false uh, people in the church. He says there's hidden sin. You know, they, they come in, but then they give themselves license to pollute their own bodies. And this either happens through disconnection, like there are are churches that are so big and nobody knows any of the leaders. And so, you know, they go off and live lives that are totally disconnected from what is happening on Sundays or any other day of the week the church is meeting. Uh, this can also happen. Disconnection can happen in small churches too, by the way. I think unhealth in the churches, both in big churches and small churches, medium churches, all kinds of churches. So there's hidden sin because they're disconnected or through appeasement, meaning they're doing something we like so much that we will overlook these other things. And in big churches and small churches and old churches and new churches, I've seen this happen, where somebody is doing something that everybody likes. They're saying the right things. They're doing a certain thing. And then they say, okay, but we're gonna, so we're going to overlook these major red flags because they're doing a job for us. Angie and I were part of a church years ago where there was somebody uh, who was you know, basically taking care of a lot of things administratively and, and they liked that and there were all these red flags in their personal life and, and, and we're like, hey, what's going on? And, oh, they're doing the job. It's okay. And so then they kind of overlooked a bunch of things because stuff was getting done. And then it all kind of went up in a blaze of glory and it was like, you're surprised by this? Everybody was telling you that this person had all kinds of sketchiness going on. Hidden sin, either by disconnection or appeasement. Denial of Christ through words or action. 
Anyone who denies Jesus Christ come in the flesh, anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is fully human, anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is fully God, they are to be rejected, whether they say it in their words or they live it in their actions. Elevating their own voice over God's word. Remember Jude talked about those who based all of what they did off of dreams and visions. And there's plenty of people who do that. This is what I think is right. This is how I think it should be. And when you say, hey, this is what the Bible says, they say, well, I, I don't think that's true. I think that's just you talking. And they just reject all of that. They build their own kingdom, whether it's a, an organization or a nonprofit or a ministry or their own personal family. You know, I'm going to set myself apart from anyone else. I'm going to build my own kingdom over God's. I know, I know churches that have built their own organization thinking about their own organization instead of the kingdom of God. And I know people who have built their families thinking about their immediate little clan instead of the whole family of God. They're not accountable to anybody. I am accountable to the pastor parish at this church. Dave and Janelle Centers, Mark Harris, Andy Hill, Greg Wilson, Yvonne Phillips. I'm accountable to the superintendent of the Pacific Conference, Randy Myers. I, I have a lot of freedom, and it's good that, that the leader should be able to lead, but I have live under accountability. So if you have an issue with me, and I hope you don't, but if you ever do, those are people you can go to and say, hey, Adam needs to be held accountable, and they have the authority to do so. The last little marker I wrote down is that these kind of people are unstable in their life and practices. And that's the kind of thing you can only get through relationship. It's interesting that Jude starts off by saying, hey, I'd like to talk about this one subject. Verse 3, you know, I want to talk about just our common faith, but I see the moment we're in, and I see what's going on, and I need to stand up and speak to that. We need to be listening to each other and be connected with each other because then we will know what we need to speak to. Be Jesus' people. Be connected with Jesus' people. And we need to look to see not because we're trying to gain something we don't have, but we already have victory in Jesus, and we just need to live in that victory together. Jesus' victory is so powerful, and it's so real. And let's go together in prayer knowing that Jesus is victorious over sin, over death, in this life and in the life to come. Well, as we have heard from God's word, let's join together as a church and let's acknowledge all that Jesus has done. Let's confess our need for him and let's rejoice together as Christians. Lord, I raise my hands before you in surrender. I acknowledge that you are the creator of all things. I acknowledge that I have no hope outside of you. I acknowledge that you have saved the world and that you are worthy of all praise. And I acknowledge that you have set me free from sin and death. And Lord, I confess that there are times where I want to do my own thing. There are times where I want to be rebellious to you or rebellious to others. There are times where I want to disconnect and run away and hide. But you, Lord Jesus, have always brought me and kept me. And I believe that you will do that for all who are praying with me. And Lord, this morning we rejoice because you have given us victory in this life. That we are not doomed. We are not cursed 
that we are not bound to defeat, but we are bound to you, Jesus. And any who call on your name will be saved. Any who seek wisdom from you, I believe you'll give. Any who seek healing and power in your name, I know that you are working. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for that work. I acknowledge you. I confess my need for you, and I rejoice in the work that you are doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May the grace of God go with you this week. May you be aware of the love that God has shown forth through his son Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit until we gather together again.